Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day number 36 since most of us began to stay home. Shelter in place. Social distance. And it's day number two of this podcast. I keep thinking about all the new language we're using. The phrases, the words, the terms. Social distancing. Elbow bumps. Droplets. Flatten the curve. In the way that we adapt to new language, we also adapt to new circumstances. We human beings are nothing if not resilient. This, too, is the way we live now. It seems wholly appropriate today, day number 36 and number two, that my guest is writer and physician Dr. Suzanne Coven. Earlier this week, the New England Journal of Medicine published an essay of Suzanne's titled They Call Us and We Go. Suzanne's forthcoming essay collection, Letter to a Young Female Physician, will be published by W.W. Norton in 2021. Suzanne, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Danny. To begin with, tell us where you are, like literally where you are right now. Invite us into your world. Where are you sitting? What do you see? Who's with you during this time? I'm actually sitting in what was years ago my grown children's basement playroom and which has hastily been turned into my 18-month-old grandson's playroom as he and his family have uh, moved in with us during this quarantine. So I am sitting among baby toys and baby blankets and blocks and all sorts of things which... uh, seem both very remote and very familiar and very delightful. It's been the upside of this uh, miserable circumstance. Did your family move in with you and your husband right around what I would refer to as the, like, sort of the moment that all this hit home? I date that as March 11th, which is the day that, that the Trump travel ban and 
the NBA being canceled and Tom Hanks getting, um, I don't mean to laugh, you know, getting diagnosed, but it was like this crazy trifecta of things that happened. Yeah, there were a few days there, weren't there, where things seemed to be moving very quickly, uh, not so much in terms of the reality of things, but in terms of our um, consciousness of their urgency. So on the 11th, uh, we were in New York uh, visiting uh, one of our kids, and we had planned uh, a beach weekend. We love the beach in the winter. On the 12th, we were, so this was the real kind of pivotal point for me. We met uh, my son and a friend of his in a crowded restaurant in Brooklyn, and we didn't shake hands or hug his, uh, with or hug his friend. But we also were not particularly uncomfortable being in this crowded restaurant. By the next morning, we canceled our weekend away. We came back home. And the day after that, the rest of our family um, and the baby uh, moved in with us. You know, when I think back about when all this started, for me, yes, it was March 12th to March 13th. Isn't it amazing how quickly that turned? I think for all of us in one way or another, I think forevermore we're all going to have these stories of the moment that it just simply was not okay to be in a crowded restaurant anymore or um, where we just needed to close our doors. As a a primary care doc, uh, for me, that kind of where did it all begin is very familiar because um, this is the way my patients describe the beginning of their symptoms, the beginning of their illnesses, you know, that was the day the world changed. This is, you know, sort of a worldwide extension of what is, for many of us, in fact, for most of us at some point, um, a, a very personal experience. In moments in life where there's a divide between before and after, everyone is experiencing this divide uh, because of COVID-19 between before and after. But, you know, you and I both know as as people who craft uh, and, and think a lot about literature that in order to understand the after, we need to understand the before. So right. could you talk a little bit about your life, just sort of your daily life before? Yeah, this is such a great question. Apropos of what I just said, um, a sudden illness or injury uh, doesn't happen you know, in a blank canvas, it, it happens to a life in progress. This crisis happened to me at a very particular and in some ways ironic point uh, in my career, which is that I was essentially ramping down my clinical practice. I was uh, reorganizing my schedule to spend less time with patients, more time teaching and writing, Uh, really transitioning my identity even beyond that to perhaps retirement uh, and further away from being a practicing physician. Well, that changed very, very fast, as you can imagine. Yeah, so so talk talk to us about the experiences that led you to write your essay, Uh, They Call Us and We Go. When people ask me how I come up with essay ideas or when people ask me for advice about what they should write about, I always say that it's best to look for 
an uncomfortable moment, even if it's a very tiny moment, where you're just not sure why you felt what you felt. So for me, that moment looked like this, not more than a a handful of days into this crisis. I received an email uh, asking for volunteers to work in a COVID screening clinic that had been quickly organized in my hospital, and I deleted it. And the reason I deleted it is because uh, as a very late career physician, I've kind of gotten into the habit of deleting emails that have to do with new ventures, new IT systems, uh, training programs to acquire new skills. You know, this is sort of a perk of getting older is that, you know, that stuff doesn't apply to me anymore. So I deleted it and I thought, gee, you know, I'm of an age where uh, I'd be at risk of having complications if I were to contract the virus. And uh, if I got very sick, I wouldn't be of much help to anyone. And so I figured I would practice telemedicine uh, and uh, I would be supportive of my younger colleagues and I would continue uh, writing and conducting reading and writing groups uh, virtually. And so, as I said, I deleted the email. And uh, over the next couple of days, I just walked around feeling terribly uncomfortable not exactly guilty, but sort of guilty, but just uncomfortable. And then um, I walked into the living room and I sat down on the couch and I announced to my husband, I have to go to that clinic. I just have to do it. This is at Massachusetts General Hospital, right? This is at Massachusetts General Hospital, yes. Okay. Okay. Can I ask you too, Suzanne, like when you were having that feeling of discomfort, walking around during those days, did you know what it was? Did you know what it was right away or did it start to more sort of creep up on you what, what, where it was coming from? Well, as is so often the case, I didn't really know what it was until I started writing about it. What I misdiagnosed it as originally was just fear, fear for myself, fear for my colleagues, um, fear for my family. Uh, you know, I, I often think that the, the first stage, of course, of, um, of grief, but also just of, uh, of dealing with any kind of um, situation that, that feels traumatic is denial. And what that looks like is, this is not acceptable to me. And that's kind of what it felt like. Um, I think that was sort of the first stage was, I feel anxious. Uh, I'm worried about my colleagues. I'm worried about myself. I'm worried about my family. I don't want any of this to be happening. I hate this. But, of course, a person like me who's ramping down their career and hasn't worn scrubs in 35 years doesn't belong in a clinic like that. And then I thought, no, that's not what it is. Uh, What it is is you just feel guilty that you're not helping enough. And then I wrote the essay and I realized there was actually a different answer. So at the center of your essay, I just want to read um, a little snippet from it, if I may, Um, because this is really what what, um, struck me as the beating heart of it. I am not a brave person. As a child, I hated recess. The school playground frightened me. The monkey bars were too high. The slide too slippery. The swing too swingy. As an adult, 
I'm no more physically courageous. If I were to respond to the challenge currently circulating on social media, name five things you don't like that other people like, I'd put air travel, roller coasters, and skiing, all of which terrify me, as the top three with blue cheese and science fiction coming in at four and five. Still, the hours after the message about the COVID-19 screening clinic arrived, I felt that however much I feared for my physical safety, the psychological distress I'd feel if I didn't volunteer would be far greater. You know, and I I found myself like reading that and thinking about, because I relate to that very much. I am not a physical risk taker. I thought about like the idea of physical courage versus another kind of courage, you know, a courage that sort of rises up beyond thoughts of primal, primitive, physical, one's own physical safety and become something bigger, which really feels to me like what you're talking about. First of all, thanks for reading that. It sounds awfully good in your voice. <laughs> I am an absolute chicken. Uh, I really am. Uh, I, I am a very uh, sort of physically fearful person. I am not a risk taker. I think what the feeling was, um, was not actually so much finding a different non-physical kind of courage. It was, if I did not do this thing, I wouldn't be who I am. It, it really had to do with a sense of identity. So if I caught the virus and risked my life, that would be a certain kind of erasure. And by the way, I don't mean to over-dramatize the risk I'm taking. I'm working in a very safe environment compared with so many of my colleagues. But if I didn't go, that would be a different kind of erasure. It would be a denial of who I have been since I was in my 20s. So interesting, I've, I've been meeting virtually uh, with uh, colleagues of all ages in these last few weeks in reading and writing groups uh, that I usually run in person. This is actually a common sentiment and one that I'm hearing from young doctors too, that you know, the reason we do this is because it's who we are and it's actually more uncomfortable to be at home. And not only more uncomfortable, but the sort of funny surprise to me was that when I finally went to the clinic, I found it um, very calming to be there. I was much less anxious being in the clinic with patients with fevers and coughs than being in the safety of my home. You know, your your essay ends with these lines from The Plague, the novel The Plague by Albert Camus, which is a novel that many people uh, seem to be uh, gravitating toward right now and rereading. Um, and and, and the, the sentences are, I have no idea what's awaiting for me or what will happen when all this ends. For the moment I know this, there are sick people and they need curing. There is comfort in clarity. As I, I say in the essay, the doctors and the nurses and the respiratory therapists and other clinicians, our version of the firemen rushing into the burning building is there's sick people who need us, and so that's where we have to be. Mm-hmm. And usually 
answering that call doesn't involve any risk to us, but this time it does. And one of the things that's buoyed my spirit so much during this dark time, other than uh, having my my grandson uh, here with me, is just seeing my colleagues in some way act as if this is just another day at work. This is just what we do. That very first time I went to that clinic, a, a nurse strolled in with a cup of takeout coffee and started, you know, cracking jokes. And I, I just thought, well, this this feels like home. Mm-hmm. This feels like where I need to be right now. Right. That's that's very moving. Um, so let's let me end by just asking you. What, if anything, is bringing you hope right now or solace? I'm an optimist by nature, so there are a lot of things that are bringing me hope. I'm very hopeful that what's happening now will um, shine a, a greater spotlight on health disparities and on the brokenness of our healthcare system. I'm hopeful that the power of science uh, will be more evident to people who have uh, lost faith in it or haven't had faith in it. I mean, after all, as has been said, this is what the world looks like when you don't have a vaccine for an infectious disease, and it's not good. The many, many kindnesses that people have extended to each other and that um, the community at large has extended to the healthcare profession have been very heartening. But I think most of all, for me, it's just been watching my colleagues rise to this occasion, and not just the doctors and the nurses and the respiratory therapists, but the medical secretaries and the engineers and the cafeteria workers and all the people who make the healthcare system run, they've really just stepped in unquestioningly. They've answered the call. And even though I've been doing this now for 35 years, I don't think I've ever seen anything more moving. And I'll never forget it. Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on and talking about the way we live now. I'm really grateful to you. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Way We Live Now. Have a question or want to share what your life is like today? Join The Way We Live Now's Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash The Way We Live Now pod. That's all one word. Or leave us a voice message at 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-TWWL for The Way We Live. You can also follow me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Our executive producer is Beth Ann Macaluso. Special thanks to Tyler Klang and Tristan McNeil. Be safe out there. For more productions from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.